if we say as Americans, we go into this world all around the world and we say America is a place of the free world. We're doing so good. We're the number one country economically and maybe even educationally. Because let's not forget, we have a lot of people coming to the Americas to get these degrees, to get these to get these accolades that only can be found either on the East Coast or West Coast at notable universities. And people are paying top dollar to come to our university, but we claim that education is not valid in our own country to, to and made available to its own citizens. How can we say that we're, how can, how, what would, how will we be able to stand clear and say that America is really doing good or value education? Or is that a direct contradiction? Or are we just full of it? Education in America, what does it mean? Who is it for? And who is it failing? We'll find out on today's powerfully thought-provoking episode of the Discerning Elephant podcast. So here's a big question. Does education matter in America? There's been a lot of debate about it. People seem to think that education really matters. Some people think it doesn't matter. Does education really matter? Carla, what do you think? I say that's a tricky question. And I'm totally honest when I say that. Because we have a system, we have something in place to educate folks, right? The general public, your public schools, obviously you have private and private. Um, But looking at statistics and numbers, I would say no, most specific people, right? So that's why I would say yes and no on that answer. And Alona, you can uh, jump in on this question as well. (laughs) Ilana? Yeah, okay, so good morning. Uh, the assumption is, I guess, let's just give a context for education. We're talking about school education, like our basic public education, K through 12. Um, and my answer is, I mean, I think Carla, I'm thinking something very similar. I would just frame it differently, which is um, matters. It depends on to whom, right? So we were talking earlier about values. And I think something mattering just Im- implies the implication is that one values it or doesn't. So certainly the upper echelons, the people who are running the world, the people who are um, putting these systems in place, it matters to them. And it matters to them that specific people buy into that system and that other people don't. Right? I mean, some, I guess the question is, yeah, it depends on who you're asking. Does it matter? Yeah. My answer is yes. So so if it matters, then it's naturally assumed that we can say, if education matters from a from a national point of view, maybe even to a global point of view, then how do we assess its value? It's been studies have shown that it, if people are educated, it helps them become better citizens, get a better paid job. It shows the difference seemingly between good and bad. So what is America's value on education? Yeah, the value of education is it keeps people in place where we need to keep them. So people who are educated and people who are voting and people who are reading are going to be participating and shaping um, you know, the world we live in and people who are not are gonna be subordinate and subservient to that. And it's interesting because every massive political movement and every disastrous um, indoctrination is about education. I mean, during the times in this country, times of slavery, the most important thing was that people not be allowed to read and write, people not be educated. And so that speaks to power. During the time of Nazism, the rise of national socialists in Germany, the big thing was get kids while they're young and indoctrinate them, educate them the way we want them to be educated. Um, We look at communism, you're educated in service of the state. So, yeah. What's your thoughts, Carla? Piggybacking on what I said earlier, I say yes and no, just because that 
because I totally believe in that whole idea of the free and public education, like great, brilliant idea. But my problem comes in where we're not serving everybody in that system. Okay, so that's where my beef is, if you will. Because if you say one thing, but do another thing, then that's contradictory, hypocritical, et cetera, right? So if you're saying, you know, education's important, we want all students to thrive, but you have data showing that this whole group of people are not being educated and not being successful. And yet, and, and, and on top of that, not implementing initiatives to subvert that or to, to fix that issue, then I have, I, then I would say, no, I don't think that education for all is um, the actual sentiment because it, I don't go by what people say or what the government says. It's like, what does the government actually do? Right. You just brought up a really, you brought yeah. up a really good point. And to your point, we were just talking about this the other day. How many presidents look at the last 10 years have run and said, education is so important. Education is so important up to our most recent um, leader. And how much money was just poured into the Ukraine war? I'm not speaking on whether or not we should be pouring money into the war. What I'm saying is, look, follow the dollar. Which one of you says that? Follow the money. I think it's you, Carla. <laughs> Both of you, probably. Um follow the money. Where are we putting our money? Where are we putting our resources? Where are we putting our energy? It's not in education. 19% of black boys in this country, and that was three years ago, I think the statistics are even more dire now, um, are reading proficiently, are literate. And that's another thing to bring into this, I, I don't know where it fits in, but the systems, we have to talk about systems, and the mental health system and the education system are colliding. And the collateral damage on that is our black and brown kids who are being diagnosed, who are being put in special education, who are being put in, who are being labeled with conduct disorder, antisocial disorder, ADHD, they're hyperactive. We are just using the education system, the mental health system as another way to funnel kids into prisons and out onto the street. So with all the, with all the things that's up against education or maybe even public education system, how is it that America still is leading the free world and seems to be this formidable country that rules in the land of um, economic prosperity, education prosperity, which is hardly debatable, debatable, especially as we look at it now. And America education is essential to achieving what we deem as the American dream. How can we not say that we value education? What, what, what contradicts the idea that we value education? How can we not stand on that thing? If we say as Americans, we go into this world, all around the world, and we say America is a place of the free world, we're doing so good, we're the number one country economically and maybe educationally, because let's not forget we have a lot of people coming to the Americas to get these degrees, to get these to get these accolades that only can be found either on the East Coast or West Coast at notable universities. And people are paying top dollar to come to our university, but we claim that education is not valued in our own country to, to, and made available to its own citizens. How can we say that we're, how, can, how, what would, how would we understand clearly and say that America is really doing good or value education? Or is that a direct contradiction? Or are we just full of it? <laughs> well, I mean, you make, you make a point of, yes, a lot of people from different countries come here to, to um, receive an education um, because in their country or wherever they're from, it may not be the same structure, right? Um, but people are getting educated everywhere. I mean, let's be clear. And I, and I would like to fact check our, because I think economically and technically, I think China is now number one. I believe we can check that. Um, but yes, we are known as the most um, wealthiest and, and progressive whatever country there is. Um, and yes, people do come here to get an education. But I think it's also those additional education resources. Like obviously here, you can go to public school, but you can also go to 
charter or private. There's all these myriads of after school programs and and specific, you know, like your um what's the ones like the Kumons and the, you know those after school types of programs, and they that may not be accessible where they are coming from. But coming back to money, like we do spend a lot of money on education, but we spend even more money on the person complex. Like for example, and I have this data set. Um, our correction spending is in the $500,000 per inmate. But our public education per pupil spending, the match you're looking at is twenty-four to 30000 per pupil. And this is at your university level. So just looking at that, not saying anything else, where do you think our priorities are? I mean, if you're just looking at that. And so that speaks volumes, I think. Ilana? Yeah, I'm going to try. This is so complex and so complicated because we need to look at like the university system versus the, you know, pu public K through 12 versus these are different. So I'm not going to speak to that just because it's so big. And Carla, you kind of, you know, addressed it well enough for our purposes. I would say, and what I really want to call out and is bring out the idea of systems. And we talk a lot about it systemic, it's systemic. And I'm really um, concerned about how when we put the right language on it, we think we're you know, we have all the right names, we have all the right talk, we're talking about privilege and power and systemic and systemic racism. But I don't, I'm not sure we really are have internalized what it means to have a systemic problem. And so first of all, why is the United States the way those are millions of we could some people think it's because of capitalism, some people think it's because of this. But I think for our purposes, we can say, we have a lot of resources, we live in a big country, there's a lot of power. Um, why the United States is number one, what I think is more important to ask is, is what we are looking at really what the facts are? So if you if you claim that this is what we are and so powerful, and so I think you have to ask, is that really the case? Well, if you go and look at the numbers, 23% of the kids in this country in K through 12 public education are literate, are reading at grade level. That's fourth and eighth graders, 23%. It was 49% when we were complaining about this years ago. It's insane. So no, education is not being prioritized. And education, I would even argue, is being used as a means of control and as a means of keeping certain people in power. And I think we have a big emperor is wearing no clothes problem. <laughs> um, and I think that, yeah, there's a whole probably show or discussion we could have about systems and they're problematic. Interesting. So when we come back, we're going to dive into this a little deeper. We're going to go back to K-12 and talk about the public school system. We'll be back in just a moment. This episode of the Discerning Elephant podcast was sponsored in part by Yule, also known as the United Educators of Housing and Literacy. Their mission is to bring awareness of reading scores of Black youth throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, to educate parents, teachers, and community leaders on literacy instruction, and to support basic allowances for housing for teachers, one community at a time. If that's a mission that you can support, then please visit Yule online at www.uehl.org for more information. Thank you, Yule. We appreciate everything you do. Hi, welcome back. We were going to dive back into K-12 and the value of education, if it even exists at K-12. During the break, we're going to speak about some really interesting things that Carla, Dr. Carla Prince-Chain brought up that I thought was a matter of policy and things that we could actually talk about as related to contemporary policy. Carla, let's go back to that, this, that primary discussion on Prop 209. Give us your thoughts on that. 
Well, you know, Prop 209 was passed by the voters um, to prohibit, right, to prohibit uh, against discrimination or preferential treatment by the state and other uh, entities. So I won't well, say I get that, but if that is now the law, and and I know recently um, the um, superintendent of education, Tony Thurman, tried to pass legislation, you know, uh, regarding focusing on Black boy education and education attainment. And that was cautioned by our governor Newsom that it's going to um, be against Prop 209, or it's going to, um, I can't think of the word right now. But anyway, in the state of California, we have over 20 some odd USC, uh, PSUs and about nine, 10 PSUs. And they specifically receive federal funding to become Hispanic serving institutions, which they have to have 25% enrollment, et cetera. So that to me seems like it's specific. And I'm not saying that that group does not need that help. What I'm saying is, why can't we find something to also help this other group, meaning Black boys? Ilana? All right, well, I'm gonna bring this, first of all, Carla, to what you said. It's, you know, it's unspeakable, really. It's the fact that we are not solving the problems that we need to solve it speaks for itself. This is not a money issue. We were talking about money in the sense it is a money issue in the sense that um, we need to have money, but there's not a, there's not a problem with money. Like if we're spending this and this much money per student, first of all, again, that money could be going to putting tractors to dig holes in the field, in the soccer field, just because that money and we're dividing and doing a per student um, ratio of where the money goes, we don't know where the money goes. So money, I think, is a whole, we need money, we have money, there's so much money. All I want to say is there's money to do everything we want. And so it comes back to values. And if we're talking about, there are 10 ESL programs, for example, in this in these classes, and there is not one program for Black boys. We know that they are at the bottom of the pile. And we're not doing anything to help it. And so all that I can say, all that we, I think, can see and pull out of this is it do, it's not important. And, and I would venture to say, not only is it not important, it's important that it not change. It's important to keep the systems in place that are in place. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that was my answer or my response to that or my thoughts around that are every single meeting we open up with thanking the Native American Ohlone people whose land we are sitting on. And I feel like, and acknowledging that we are sitting on stolen land. And I feel like, what the heck? Then get your big butt off of it and give it back. So I think what this boils down to is we are not willing to make the changes, the systemic changes necessary. And that is what is necessary. It's necessary that when we have bills like 209 or we have laws in place, that these laws are designed to extract a pound of flesh, quite frankly, we need to pay up and we're not willing to do it. We're not willing to give up our seat at the table, at the head of the table to bring up other people. That's the bottom line. And kids are not reading because we don't care that they're reading. And if we did care, we'd be changing it. It's interesting you say that because you talk about the values. If we know that K to 12 have there's a mandate that says in education code that if you do not send your kids to school K to 12, that there's penalties for parents. So don't we have a fiduciary duty to make sure that our schools are equipped with teachers that are ready and able and capable 
That's one thing. But also that we're actually giving our kids the things and the tools that they need to be successful. Like that we're actually finding ways to make sure that we're engaging our kids and that we're making sure that our system is in fact valued. I mean, I think we've been kind of saying that back to the value thing. This is the deal. So I'm in high school. Um, I'm in high school in, um, yeah, I'm not going to say more about that. Um, and every single day I watch kids come in, sit through seven hours of classes. I think I can safely say this, that mean nothing to them. The work does not match who they are, what they are interested in. It doesn't match what they, what level they are at. It is a curriculum that has been handed down from high who from people who have no idea who these kids are, what they need, where they're going. So kids are being, you know, we're grinding kids through this with standardized tests, standardized everything. I watched yesterday while kids took a test, kids who could not, couldn't barely read were taking a test that they could not answer one answer to. The test took three hours. So for three hours, they sat in front of a piece of paper, a computer, and did not know what was going on, but had to check the boxes and had to fill it because someone who is making money off of the test, who is getting paid to administer the test, who is getting uh, the money and the time investment for something that delivers nothing to the child is what is happening every single day. So this whole idea of education is just bullshit. I love the truth. I love the truth. This is why I love the fact that I'll talk about the value because many people would say it's subjective. Are the rich, in fact, going through the same thing that we're going through? No. Are they view it completely different? Because they would say that education is top-notch, it's unaffected, it is truly quite the opposite. It is effective in their world. Why? Because it'd be because of the money value propositions. They got money, teachers, credentials are different. There's a different type of system that they have that maybe, in fact, maybe education is value and it's quite effective in their world. But to the everyday people that don't have the money to be in these Ivy Leagues or have access to private schools, which is the majority of the population, we're miserably failing behind. Dr. Carl, what do you have to say about that? Well, just uh, piggybacking on what Luna said, we don't care. What we said is is not fact, it's fiction. <laughs> now, we do have a couple of uh, um, school districts, specifically Oakland and LA, that are working on some initiatives and specifically like the teacher residency programs because one of our data points is why black students specifically black boy students are doing well is because partly because of the curriculum nothing it's nothing related to them there's no nothing showing them in history but also they don't see themselves in the teachers right like we know it's predominantly uh white and female um and it's like there's no connection or room for connection. Not that they, there can't be. There's just, there is data to show that teachers, the students need teachers like, that look like them, right? So Oakland has their Grow Your Own, and, and I'm not sure the name of LA's program, where they're trying to give stipends to Black male teachers specifically to come into the classrooms um, to help with this issue, to be part of the, you know, there's a cause. There's many things that are affecting the, black boy achievement and one of those um things that is um reported to help is having a teacher of color in the classroom and it's supposed to help all students because honestly once you get through elementary school you, you know uh junior high high and college like if you don't see a teacher of color until you get to college you're kind of like you know 
questioning, you know, do we not have a within that or can we not teach that? You know what I mean? Like there's questions that are well, absolutely it's so yeah. it's painful. It is painful to think what that does to a child who has no sense of connection. Like I belong here. There are other people like me. I it's horrible. And to your to your point, yes, credit, they're com coming up with these residency programs. But again, it's just bullshit. It's like, it's like, what are the stipends? There was an article published in EdSource just the other day about, yeah, they have these great residency programs, but the money they're offering, the stipends they're offering are so paltry or so poor. It's, it's a joke. It's like, if you're serious, pay good money. Mm -hmm. Like put up, give these, give people enough money to live off of, to be able to do this work and they're not doing it. So kind of, I mean, yeah, again, they're making it look good. It's wrapped up in a bow. But really inside what's in the box, it's empty. I think it goes back to the idea about values because it, it's something you said, if we care enough, we'll pay our teachers more, particularly for K-12. But and now we show the value proposition that we're dedicated to give a little bit more money or some more money to our educators who have our mandated kids to be in class, K-12, um, regularly, and now to pay it for it there. But then from the kids' point of view, so we know the value's not there for teachers because obviously we don't pay them well. We're talking oh, about that if you pay them well, if you live in Mountain View School District, oh come on, average, Rona. <laughs> the average teacher is making one hundred and fifty-three thousand dollars a year in Mountain View, Mountain, Mountain View, California. Mountain View, California. Well, down the road, I'm not going to name the city. The average teacher is making sixty-seven thousand dollars a year. Mm. So it, you know, even though we say we do have money, and we as a state we can throw money at this. Um, but there's still issues with, okay, and I get it. You can't pay a teacher right out the gate six figures. I get that. You need to work up to that. However, it's still being decided on your zip code. Like, let's be real. Like, if you're in a certain zip code, you are getting this level of education. Your teacher, um, your teacher's credentials are going to be different from the person in a different zip code. All of these things. Your resources are going to be different. And that's unfortunate because, you know, we were supposed to have this, the, what's that, the LCAPs and all of this that's supposed to create this equitable funding, but it still doesn't seem to be meted out like it's supposed to be. I mean, just, and I'm on my son's school site council, so I'm learning about this um, and how, okay, we're going to get this federal money, but you have to do A, B, and C. Obviously, grants come with conditions, right? Um, so, you know, we have a lot of um, social needs students, we have a lot of um, um what do you call it, um, pre-reduced lunch students, right? And so the school, it behooves the schools to set up these councils to, to, to state how the money's gonna be um, allocated. But I'm like looking at, okay, well, why are the numbers still the same? Or why, you know, like, it seems like nothing's changing, I guess, in my opinion. So, I don't know. It, yeah. It's frustrating to say the least, just looking to year to year like you know we've been on earth just our short lifespan <laughs> you've seen um that there hasn't really been change from the beginning of time to now on who gets educated who doesn't who has more money who doesn't right like that kind of theme is still running at, at, at a point at a you know it's stagnant yeah carla you just brought this back around to what i think again is really the issue we cannot make a change we can't it's going to be very difficult i don't want to say we can't but we're not going to make significant change within this system changes just have to be made and if we look at the macrocosm if we look at our government if we look at the political system it doesn't matter who's in office if you put an obama in office look at what happens when the house and the congress are in dead 
you know, gridlock. You can't make changes because the system is designed to keep certain things in place. And this education system was built to help certain people, to build an industrial working class, to build an elite class. We have the Ivy Leagues. We know who was supposed to go to the Ivy Leagues. And then under that, we educated other people. And we were very specific about to a certain degree to keep them working, to keep them function, helping keep society functioning up to a certain level. And within this system, we cannot make gains because it was designed to stop us from making gains. I find that so interesting. And it's so funny. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that I find very interesting about this notion from the bottom up. Maybe it's time for top down. We'll be back. We'll be back in just a moment. This episode of the Discerning Elephant podcast was sponsored in part by the Fair Housing Advocates of Northern California, also known as FANCY. Their mission is to ensure equal housing opportunities and to educate our communities on the value of diversity in our neighborhoods. Visit www.fairhousingnorcal.org to learn more about FANCY and their mission for housing equality. Thank you, FANCY. Welcome back. We were talking about this notion between um, from bottom up. We've always been about starting from the bottom, going to the top, fixing the bottom to get to the top. And maybe could it possibly be that now where we are in real time, that there's so much influence at the top, where there's money, there's resources, there's notable people, there's notoriety, then maybe it's there we need to be able to fix our public education system so we can change the value proposition on how we see education. Maybe it might be that these institutions that people are running to, or I should say flying to across the, the Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, to get to notable universities that have so much power and influence with people, places, and things, then maybe those might be the people that actually change the way we see the K-12 education system across our country. Maybe we might just need to dismantle it from people at the top to start from these universities to work their way back down to K or even pre-K. What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Carla? Or even Ilona? Okay, so. I know that's a lot, but. I'm gonna say two things to that and I'll try to be very brief because Carla, I want you to speak to this. You have a lot of knowledge on the whole university thing. Um, so I'm gonna say number one, yes, the directives are coming from the top down as we were talking about the political systems, the politics, the universities are dictating. We're teaching to the SATs because that's what determines whether or not we're going to college. So yes, my response to addressing it and where the shift is gonna come from, no one on top is gonna say, well, let me step down and let's change this so that people from the bottom can rise up. It's not gonna happen. Just like no one's saying, you know, we honor this Ohlone land and we would like to give it back to you. And no one's saying to black men who are now, their sons are, you know, being arrested, are being put into um, behavioral programs, are being not taught to read properly. No one's going to say, here, we owe you this. We have built our success on your back, literally. And we, we would like you to go buy yourself a nice piece of property and we owe you this. No one is going to say that. Um, I just could go on about that forever. So no, the change is not going to come from the top down. And I think our one of our goals in for you with United Educators for Housing and Literacy is bringing up scores for low performing, low literacy students. Um, I hate that term, low performing. Let me change it because it makes it sound like that's really crap. 
um, for kids who are not being taught properly, who are not being given the tools and resources they need? Um, the answer is it's only gonna come from parents. Parents have so much power. The only people who have more power than the people on top are the parents, because in the end, they're the only ones who have the they have to send their kids to school. You brought up the point about mandatory education. Mm -hmm. What if we say, no, we're not sending our kids to your school. That's why everyone is so that will cause a revolution, it will cause a revolution, because every day that that kid is not sitting in that seat at school. The reason we are calling saying, where's Susie today is because for every second, literally, she's not sitting in that chair, money is not coming, getting poured into the school. Mm. And parents have so much power. We are the only ones who can say, no, if your child is not reading, this is my plug for take your school to task. If your child is not reading, you stay on top of those scores. You stay on top of those math scores. If they are constantly being sent home with behavioral problems, you check out their academic issue because kids probably are struggling in school, are feeling bored, are feeling afraid, are feeling suffering from low self-esteem because they have their needs aren't being met and so they're acting out so parents hold your schools accountable refuse to play along in this game carla say something mm -hmm. i'm crazy <laughs> this is really no, good no I, that's all i was going to come in so two parts of that right parents having power and kids the um education um being educated at school or not being educated at school so yes the, the change is going to come from the parents. I absolutely believe that because, again, a lot of people say, oh, well, it's a free public education. And in my case, for homeowners, we are actually paying for this public and free education, especially for those who cannot um, pay property taxes, right? Because that's where the majority of funding comes from is property taxes. So we can absolutely demand better um, from our schools and our teachers and our leaders, right? Um, but does that happen? Do people have the time to do that? No. So it doesn't happen. But I think also people don't have the tools or the knowledge on how to organize and, and, and do that. Um, I know specifically in my son's school, he, he's a kindergartner and he is like, I'm bored, right? Because the curriculum is not challenging for him. And I myself, as an educator, I educate him at home. He does after school program. He has all these things that he's into. And I realize not everybody can do that. So Again, it's coming back to parents stepping up and stepping in. Um, I did talk to the principal, or no, one of the teachers actually, because she was saying, yeah, we're doing some of the stuff for the Common Core curriculum, blah, blah, blah. Now, remember, we didn't grow up with Common Core, and this is like the generation uh, uh, before, and now we're expected to help our kids with Common Core at home. And we're like, uh, back up, where's the boot camp? Where's the training course for parents? And we don't know how to assist our kids at home. Now, I'm speaking up in my position to say, hold up. We, we don't have the tools to help our kids at home. So just imagine all the parents who are not in that position to come in and say, hey, I don't know what you're doing. I can't help my kid at school or at home rather. So so parents definitely have to speak up, but it's going to come down to a person organizing the parents to speak up. That's what it's going to come down to. Um, and like Alona said, if students, you know, but in seat is not happening, money in school is not happening. So whether the child's getting educated or not seems like, secondary to <laughs> your kid attending school. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. absolutely. again, the money, everything boils down to money. At the end and of the Carla, don't you think at the same time, yes, on everything you said, and yes, you are one of those parents who um, thankfully can show up and, and fight that fight in addition. And at the same time, would you agree that just making noise and holding the school accountable, maybe not giving the school the answers and saying, I'm gonna show up to make sure this happens, but making the school accountable and saying, I am the customer, I do have rights. You are mandated by law to provide an education 
to, you are mandated to make sure that my child is literate by this and this and hold those schools accountable, maybe without giving them an answer, maybe without helping them out. Do you, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it, it's a partnership, no doubt. Like the parent can demand and then the school has to do everything within its power to work with the parent to educate the child. Obviously, they're at the school majority of the time. I'm like, okay, what is your teacher education level? What is your curriculum? What is your um, training program look like? You know, all of these things that need to be in place. So it's, imagine at all these schools, none of these things are in place or they're just willy-nilly. Okay, we're following. Everybody's doing something different and, and not being held accountable uh, to your point. So I absolutely believe that you can say, hey, this is your responsibility. Um, and if you can't do your responsibility, then you need to change or, you know, move out the people who aren't doing the work and move in people who can do the work. So it sounds like that the value of education as it relates to K-12 is still yes and no, depending on who you ask. And I guess it really is subjective, although a lot of it is objective because I think we all agree that there's a lot of things that need to be fixed and things are just simply aren't working. But when we come back, a growing number of Americans are questioning the value of going to college. Do we have a point? And also, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the notion of student loan forgiveness. When we return, we'll dive right into that and find out what Dr. Carla thinks and what Eloma thinks. See you soon. This episode of the Discerning Elephant podcast was sponsored in part by Yule, also known as the United Educators of Housing and Literacy. Their mission is to bring awareness of reading scores of black youth throughout the San Francisco Bay Area to educate parents, teachers, and community leaders on literacy instruction and to support basic allowances for housing for teachers, one community at a time. If that's a mission that you can support, then please visit Yule online at www.uehl.org for more information. Thank you, Yule. We appreciate everything you do. Welcome back. So before the break, I said a number of growing, a lot of Americans are considering are, the value of college is not really worth it. What do you think, Ilona? Should people be thinking about college? Okay, I'm going to just like shift this whole thing to what looking at life and all of us want a good life. We want a good life for our children. We want a good life for ourselves. What makes that good life? I'm going to put out there having a life of meaning, having meaningful work, Obviously, that includes not starving and worrying every single day where your next paycheck is going to come from. So I think the answer is, how do we provide enough opportunity for every single child, every single child to embark on that road of self-discovery, on making meaning for themselves, on creating work that is meaningful and that they can survive? That goes without saying. Um so I would say college is part of that opportunity. The opportunity needs to be there. And other opportunities need to be there that aren't there. And instead of furthering and continuing this charade of education and having kids jump through hoops to get to some place where someone has determined they should be within this old system we have, we need to find a way to provide these opportunities, whether it's trade schools, whether it's art schools, whether it's colleges, I propose it should be everything. And we, so we need to shift the standards and we need to shift what that end goal is before we decide what are the means to get there. And I think the end goal needs to be what we 
have been saying we care about in this country forever, the opportunity, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of joy, which we have still not delivered on in this country. That's what I have to say to that. Carla, what about you, Dr. K? So I agree with Alona that opportunities need to be there because we know not everybody's going to college, not everybody's going to high school, not everybody's going to, you know, so let's have some options. I think everyone's like, oh, if you don't go to college, that's your fault that you're not making X amount of dollars, right? Um, and we know with college comes debt, especially if you can't afford to pay it yourself or your parents can't afford to pay it yourself. So here comes loans or grants or scholarships or whatever means, you know, uh, you need to go to school. Because we have been told, you know, with the college education, you will earn X amount more than the person without it. And this is another fact check for you uh, black students, college students with degrees earn less still today than non-black college students with a high school degree. So just putting that out there. So <laughs> saying that if you have a better education or a higher education, you'll earn more, that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, we can't be feeding folks lies. We have to give people opportunities to say, okay, what am I good at? Am I, am I a builder? Am I an electrician? Am I, you know, all these good paying jobs that you don't necessarily need a college degree for. Um, so it's just kind of like, you know, making those, you know, not creating the cap, making the chasm larger, right? By saying, go to school, you'll do better. Cause that's not hundred percent true. And then having other options besides just university to, to like to Lona's point, fulfill their needs in life. Like, what's their goal in life? What do they actually really want to do? Because, you know, a lot of people go to school for, like, accounting, and right now they're not even in accounting, right? So, but they went through and got all that debt to get that degree because we said get that degree. And I'm not going to lie, I have a few degrees because <laughs> I feel like I have learned more and gained more knowledge and access to networking. Has that really helped my bottom line? Not necessarily. <laughs> so it all depends on what, you know, um, what you want in life. But I, like I said, and like Alona said, there needs to be more opportunities because there aren't now. Is college expected upon your kids? Ilona and Carla, would you, would, if your kids came to you and said, mom, do I need to go to college? Would you expect, would you, would you require them or push towards them or lean? Or would you let it literally be up to them to make that decision? In the world that we live today, and given the fact that the cost of education, would you expect them to go to college? Or would you look at them like, what are you thinking about? That it's not an option. Well, for me and Ilona, I'm going to jump in. <laughs> but um, I... I am going to, and we are, you know, it's not just my decision to make, it's my husband's and my decision to make whether um, that's a goal for, for our son. And honestly, like like I already said, folks, Black folks with college degrees, I don't think my son is predominantly Black, but he is Black. And so I'm like, what, a, what are his opportunities going to be in the world? Mm -hmm. Us, right? So um, obviously being smart financially, setting him up for success. So having that 529 in the event he does go to college, having a savings account set up, you know what I mean? Like putting all these things in place to help better help the future. And and I would say, yeah, my husband and I have been like, yeah, he's gonna go to either here, here, or here. Now, whether he decides to go on after that, we don't know. But we do feel that that paper is gonna help him a little bit in his position. So Milana. I mean, Carla, you said this much more tactfully than I would have, but I know because we also personally um were friends off outside of business. And I know that we both will probably said some version of you will go to college or you I will murder you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also 
I need to say for both of us, I think the value of college we see does go beyond the dollar. Like mm-hmm. it's okay. I didn't send my kids to college or send them. I didn't um, provide a college opportunity for my kids or support them in pursuing that opportunity necessarily because I thought they would make more money. The truth is there's so much more value. We know that that is a time of personal development for kids. That is a time of self-discovery. And I think that's one of the things, especially in black and brown communities, that is even I don't as important as the financial benefit that they might gain. I think that for communities of color, you obviously would know this better than I would, but I would just guess that that is a huge um I think benefit and opportunity that we need to be providing to help also in the recovery process in the, you know, I think attaining a meaningful life for children. I think college is about that in this day and age. That's interesting. You bring up a very valid point. Could it be that we do value education, but we just value we just value college and universities far more than we do K to 12. Could it maybe that's by and maybe it's not intentional, but maybe it just happens to be that way because that's where people get to make that decision to go to college. In most cases, in many cases, on their own as an independent, like you're investing in your future and you're investing in your own dollars and I'm getting paid regardless of what you do versus in K to 12, it's like a mandate where, you know, some succeed, some don't, which is interesting. People don't really say, hey, what middle school did you go to? What high school did you go to? That's never really the question. It's really what university did you go to? What college did you go to? Could that really be the case that we actually value our colleges and universities? Because we certainly have people running here to come to K to 12, right? We don't hear about stories like that. Uh, you know, I'm just thought, I'm, I'm just assuming, I don't know, which might be a fact, but is that really what it is? We value colleges and universities far more than we do K to 12. Is that what the problem here? They're alive. Well, I think the universities have a, have a, an obligation to stay open and to raise funds and money. So they're really looking at whoever comes to their doors that they do gra- graduate and do big things because what does that do? That's like a free marketing tool, right? To get more people to come to your school. <laughs> and that can be set for some private schools and some um, magnet schools or some um, of your public private charter. You know what I mean? Like, okay, look who graduate from our program and look how they're doing. So send your kids here and they'll achieve that same level, which again, you know, you can't base someone else's life on someone else's life. So I don't get that. But anyway, and just uh, to go back a bit on our previous conversation, I just was thinking about this the other day. Usually in a school district, so we're going K-12 here, there's like a million elementary schools and there's a few middle schools and then there's only like two or three high schools. If we're thinking about matriculation, there's not enough room in that high school for all them kids in elementary school. So if you're thinking about that whole school, the prison pipeline, you're thinking about, you know, okay, some people are going to drop off. We don't care about that. There's only this little batch of folks that make it through. Okay, they are the ones who are going to go to college and become something. So we are kind of indirectly stating we don't expect all of you to succeed because we only have space for you to succeed. (laughs) I mean, I was just thinking about that. I was just blown away, right? So then you get to the university level. So there's only so many people that are getting into those, you know what I mean? So what happens to all those people that fell through the cracks between K-12 before you even get to university, right? So back to Alona's point, there's got to be other opportunities for that group that does not go. And maybe they do get get their GED and start working and go to college eventually. But what other avenues are we going to offer our students? You know, just because they don't um, go to college doesn't mean they're you know, they can't be educated. 
or they don't have dreams and goals and hopes and all that. You know what I mean? So that's my institution. That's really interesting. Lauren, do you want to touch on that? I'll really fast say that Carla went to USC and I went to Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I want to say to that, just back to meaning, Carla, what you said was so, so wise. It's a microcosm of the macrocosm. And you, mm -hmm. you such good words saying indirectly, we are making this assumption we are providing for this, you know, occur this state of being what it is. It's so well put. And that is what's happening. And um, yeah, we could, we could just talk about this forever. It's so funny, and I love, and I love that Carla that was so profound because it really ties that same system happens inadvertently, like you said, in the college university system. Our junior college no one's really caring as much as they do with universities. And, and, you, and, and colleges are typically, I mean, even in San Francisco, it's, um, colleges are city colleges free. You know, if you resident, you get a, you get city college for free. But no one's saying these things about universities in high schools. The high schools are far one or two to choose from. But elementary is like five or six. Like it's like the, it's like something's happening as people get funneled out. K to twelve is free in most cases. In you know most cases, but universities aren't. But we're willing to pay the cost, whatever it takes. You know they keep continuously showing they're failing our kids. Our kids are not matriculating quite effectively as they should be. But they're still there. We still keep bailing them out. More money, more money, more money, and we have no problem with still paying these schools to do a terrible job. And we can't say it's a teacher fault, can't say it's a parent fault, maybe it's a, it's a, everybody has a part to play, but we know this is simply ineffective, but we still keep bundling one year after another, one year after another, one year after another, but in our colleges, our, in our universities, when something's not right, we correctly, we fix it right away, we have feedback loops, we have, you know, alumni groups, and we, we, we constantly have these constant feedback loops, because it's tied to a dollar, and that brings me to the conversation about why is it right now student loan forgiveness making some people boiling mad? Why? It's now it's a court. Is that the highest court? We haven't seen nothing with public education go to the court. Board versus way. I mean, board versus road. What was it? The school board versus your your media Carla. Well, you're talking about uh, the school board of education versus Kansas. Yes, we haven't we haven't said it again because we're out of um, broke up a little bit. Oh, the state the board of education versus Topeka. Yeah. Yes, so yep. we're saying you know we're no longer segregated, but no, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this this forgiveness, student forgiveness, is went to the Supreme Court because people are boiling mad about people who are probably a lot of have-nots because the fact they got all this debt, have-nots mm -hmm. looking for some type of reciprocity to get out of this madness that they got themselves in to know we'll follow their own because we're taught that this is the American path, the American dream, that we must go to school. We got to acquire these degrees if we want to be somebody in life. And we, we do what we need to do. We acquiesce to a program that's seemingly, you know, there's still, and we know that race and you know, GI people trying to do a lot of GI work because these things happen. But these things who don't, people won't really get affected. Yeah, some people pay their way, some people are paying their way, and people are at various different stages. But is it going to really affect the people who maybe paid their way through? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird notion. I mean, it is a tricky, it, it's a tricky topic. I mean, obviously, if as a government, we look to the better performing uh, education systems in Europe <laughs> and um, the Nordic countries, this wouldn't even be a topic, right? Because their education is paid for at that level. Um, but obviously we, we haven't reached that that uh, oasis yet. <laughs> I don't know if we ever will because it's a business, it's a money-making, we're a capitalist country, capitalist society, so it's about you know, making money and why would they, what would behoove them to get rid of that, that system, number one. Number two, there's the argument for, you know, from the folks who are like, I paid my student loans and I didn't go to, um, I wouldn't have gone if I couldn't have afforded it. And yeah, that's some individual responsibility, whatever. Um, 
but that part of, oh, I paid, I shouldn't have to pay for someone else. I mean, we do that every day. We pay taxes, right? So our taxes pay for paving the roads and fixing the sidewalks and this and that and the other. So we do pay for other people already. Um, and I think that it's interesting what people are willing to pay for. Like we are paying for, as I want to mention this, we're helping the, the folks in Ukraine, we're helping the folks all over. We're very, you know, global and, and helping other folks. But in this case where it's help your own, helping your own people, I feel the, the pushback and letting it be made to be this divisive issue against folks who paid their own way, against those who took out loans and couldn't pay their own way. Um, instead of the government just saying, wipe off the debt, and even if you paid, we'll give you a little bit of money too. So then to make that a non-argumentative issue. But it's because it has been made as this political, you know, I don't know say political nugget or political token. That's why I believe it's all the way up to the Supreme Court. Instead of the, the president just saying, I'm doing an executive order, I'm going to pay off all this debt, because we've done, we do it to our own national debt. They raise the debt ceiling all the time, or they, make, they do things politically to help others, or they bail out banks, they bail out cars, dealerships, you know, or car makers, but they can't bail out their people. So this has been a recurring theme as well in our country <laughs> to make it, do we care about our people? Depends on who you're talking to. And so I think, and then, you know, saying right off this debt, but then, okay, everybody who paid, we can give you a chunk too. And that would kind of think to stop the slave people from the argument. But I don't know. Because I mean, I feel like if it's going to better someone's position in life in the society as a whole, let's help them. Because at the end of the day, if they're not working and they're on the street, we're paying for them anyway. We're paying for them on one end or the other end. So, Good ahead. point, Carla. What about you, Ilona? What's your thought about the student loan forgiveness thing? I mean, my one-line answer, and then I'll say a little bit more to it. My one-line answer is it's absolutely ridiculous. Why would we not pay off that money? Why would we not? Who gives a shit? <laughs> We have, so, we have so much money to sit in this world, in this in the United States of America and say, you know, this is an issue of money. I always say what people, you know, it, it's what people want to spend money on, there's money there. Okay, we're talking beyond a certain subsistence point. And we just don't want to pay the money. I'm sorry, it comes down to, and I take this upon myself, not personally, but as a collective problem, a collective consciousness, white problem. There are people who are not willing, we are not willing to pay the price to put what for other, for other people, which it's self, it's a kind of narcissism. It is psychological. Like we could have a whole show on mental wellness. It is psychological. It is an, it is the issue of power versus competence. It is the issue of, it's, it's a humanistic problem. It's a human problem. And um, the solution for me, it's beyond the scope of this. It's a spiritual solution. And um, all I'll say is the money is any day I will take someone to task. The money is there. We just spent on nine Navy fleet submarine ships, billions of dollars that will never spend a day in the sea because of contracts that we didn't want to cancel because of government games. And, and I'm not saying anything against the military. It sounds like I'm anti-military. It's not, but it's just all a big game. And people, people waste money in this country every single day on stupid shit, on Air Force One flying around. We spend more money on gas than we do on feeding kids in this country. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, I believe you, Elena. If, if we want to take care of something, we will. Because in any instance where we're, we're like, okay, we are not going to let this other country think that we are this, and we're going to do this thing, and we did it. 
And that's why and America has also the nickname of being the bully, <laughs> right? But when it comes to the people, it's like, nah, we're going to go ahead and let you struggle. Um, you know, we got to, you know, like, it's not the same thing. And if your society is doing well, you are doing well, right? As a country, as a nation. So that whole patriotic stuff, like, like if you, I mean, I'm willing, like I said, I'm willing to help someone. They went to school, they, gra- they graduated from school, and they're working, and they're trying to pay this off. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Of course, I want to help that person because they are contributing to society, right? Um, but you know, we got people who don't do anything, and we're paying for them too. Like they come in through, and they, however means they're coming through, using the emergency services, whatever. We are paying for people regardless. So this would be a good cause to pay for people, I guess, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and Carla, what does it matter, Azalea and Carla? I mean, what does it matter if somebody else paid back their student loan? Why do I care? It's like the conversation I had with someone who asked me, was talking about the problem with education and spent a half an hour telling me about two former teachers who are collecting $100,000 a year in pension. (laughs) And I'm like, that's what you think the problem is with education? Why do you care that two people are getting $100,000? I wish we could give every single person in this world $100,000. Absolutely. Why do I, I wish I could give every person who suffered anything. If we had the money, that's the first place it would go. Why not? I agree with you. And I, the good news is that the Supreme Court Justice Barrett could be in a swing vote on Biden's student loan forgiveness. So we'll see, which is interesting because, you know, she's conservative. So we'll see how this goes. But I'm really I'm just happy to hear what your thoughts are on. But now we're going to end up shifting to our final thoughts and wrap up our hour. And we'll get everyone's final thoughts when we come back. See you soon. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Discerning Elephant podcast, please be sure to check out our other episodes on our YouTube channel and on our website at discerningelephant.com. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back. So now we're going to go to our, basically our final thoughts and see what's, what's on people's mind. Dr. Carla, what's your final thoughts? My final thoughts are, we have to do something. <laughs> we can't keep things the way they are. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some guts, right? Because anything worth fighting for is not easy. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people and money behind opposition to that, to change in general. So I always joke with the loan, I was like, we're going to be like 65, 70 before we get anything <laughs> because it's going to take some time to get people to open their eyes and be willing to change. Um, but we're not hopeless, we're hopeful. So I, I really do hope that um, parents here, and community leaders here, and people in general just hear and see that things are not equal yet still, it's not equitable, and we need to do something to change it. Thank you. Ilona, final thoughts? Thanks for that, Carla. I I second that. Um, My final thought is I was thinking the three of us met indirectly through MBK, my brother's keeper program. (laughs) Um, And I think that all the things that we considered, my final thoughts are, are kind of just like noise around the bigger, it's important noise. I'm not saying it doesn't have to be addressed, it does, but the issues of money, the issues of initiatives, the issues of, and I think really what's essential is everywhere we go, everywhere I go in life, I'm, I'd am i really like to bring it back down to the essence, the essence of who we are as people and what kind of world we wanna live in. 
And that needs to be the focus. Every time we make a decision, giving back student loan, what kind of program are we going to institute? Who are we going to give the funding to? I think we need to find that grounding piece of who are we as human beings and what do we want for all of our children? And like, we really need to get to a place that goes beyond labels and breaks through the systems, you know, really like come to a deep understanding of what are the systems, what is the context in which we're working. Thanks, Ilona. And my final thoughts is this, the value of education will remain forever both objective and subjective until we all can agree that the value of education should in fact be an objective stance. Regardless of our system, we, we want to all agree that it's an objective stance, and at that point, it's something we can start to begin to build for real change. Something that's going to be scalable, sustainable, and something that's going to actually make us all better. See you next time on Discerning Elephant. Bye.